1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to visit, um, revisit what the Apostle Paul received from the Lord Jesus Christ concerning the table of communion. And um, I believe that the Lord has a number of things that he wants to do through our um, partaking of the communion this morning. One has already been eloquently brought forward, and that is for the purpose of receiving healing and the strength that you need in your body and in every other measure of your life that needs to be healed so that you can go forth and do what God's called you to do. I think what God did right in front of this table this morning with the little children, uh, the breaking off of things that would try to latch onto them and keep them from thriving, um, and the, the activation of their giftings through the power of the Lord so that they can learn in safety and in health and with protection as they grow and develop in the Lord. That, that's also a gifting. And um, there's, there's one particular thing that the Lord put on my heart concerning this passage, which we've looked at many, many times over the years. I believe we pretty much have memorized it. And we've written books about every, so many of the factors that are listed here. But there's one rhema that the Lord strongly influenced on my heart as I was preparing for this, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But this passage is um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is the Apostle Paul telling about the Lord himself who came to him and shared with him what it was that happened there at that Lord's Supper prior to Gethsemane and the cross. Now, if you believe some modernist teaching, they would say, oh, well, you can't consider this scripture, you can't consider this anointed or inspired because it was written decades after the event, and he plainly alludes to the fact that this was given to him in a vision that the Lord came supposedly, I, I know it happened, but this is modernist speaking, the Lord supposedly came and talked to him, and don't you know that there were many other people who were having visitations in supernatural ways, and so their words are just as equal to this. So we're not condemning this word. We're not saying it's not efficacious. But to say it's part of the canon of Scripture or to say that it's better than any other type of revelation, uh, we just dismiss that. If you think that's a ridiculous thing, I just said it is. But if you think it's not being said in a lot of corners, you better think again. So I treasure the fact that God has reserved and preserved for us this wonderful, wonderful gift in the writings to the Corinthians. And I'm thankful that the Lord taught the Apostle Paul in, the, in what was called the School of Arabia for those many years and taking him from that, that very... Um, established understanding of the Old Testament as a Pharisee of the Pharisees who, who was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. And the Lord 
talked to Paul in so many ways and ministered to Paul in so many ways as to how those truths from the Old Testament were now being enlivened because of the sacrifice of Jesus and because of his ministry on earth. And um, I'm, I'm very grateful for that insight, and I, I know that, it, that that time with the Lord is what prepared Paul to go throughout the known world and to speak to so many barbarians and um, the Hellenized Jews alike, plus the Jews that were uh, in the, the synagogues that actually were still teaching in Hebrew, or, or Old Testament Hebrew. Um, I'm grateful for that. So I'm saying all that to say I value this very much, and I know you do too. And here the Apostle Paul says in verse 23, well, first of all, he was talking about a lot of other things here. He's kind of like in the anointing of the Spirit. He was addressing a lot of issues that they had and um, in, in that church, and he says some things that people have read and misconstrued and labeled Paul as a misogynist. That's a word that's become very familiar. If you'd asked me 10 years ago what a misogynist was, I probably wouldn't have known. I might have been able to spell it, but I wouldn't have known what it meant. Now everybody knows what it means. Um, but they, they'll just rip apart what Paul was saying here. But Paul says, I hear in verse 18, there are divisions among you. I, I believe it. There, and it says, there must also be heresies among you that they which are approved may be manifest among you. And I pray that we would, we would rise and be shown forth uh, in the face of whatever heresies may be out there, that, that the truth would be known. And then he comes down and he talks about the Lord's Supper and how vital it is for the church and how it should not just be a fellowship time. It shouldn't be a picnic. It shouldn't be people coming, bringing whatever it is they want to eat and just have a, uh, a smorgasbord of food and fellowship for all day. That's not, and I have no problem with having church picnics and all kinds of food. As you can tell, I'm, I'm no stranger to that. But, um, but, the table of the Lord is something rather unique, and you have to preserve that. And um, he says in verse 23, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus that same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took the cup, and when he had supped, said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself... And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. 
But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, tarry for one another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, and you shall not to, and that you come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. There's a couple of things that the Lord strongly put on my heart today. And it had to do with this measure of unworthiness and this measure of examining ourselves. Unworthiness, as we've studied, means that you're not bearing your part of the responsibilities that you should be bearing. It comes off the term axios, which is a load-bearing factor in any kind of transport vehicle or just in general in life. And so if you are coming to this table and you say, well, I just want a blessing, but I don't really want to, I don't really want to fill the role that God has given me and be available for it, you need to really come before him and say, am I doing, am I doing all that you want of me? This is not some kind of judgmentalism. It's not some kind of, uh, uh, you know, attempt to shame anyone or create any kind of ill feeling. The Bible says that you should, you should, um, you should really uh, review this for yourself because you know whether you are really doing what God has asked you to do. And it's not a gospel of works, but it is one of everybody participating faithfully and being available to the Lord. The second thing is in verse 28, let a man examine himself. And this comes from the Greek word dokimazo, which we've studied in the past, uh, has its far-reaching roots in doxa, which is the glory. But in the practical aspect, this was the word, the secret service of the day, I guess, would evaluate whether a coin had its full weight and whether the coin was really, if it was uh, supposed to be uh, valued as a certain thing, that it wasn't rubbed down or it wasn't bored through or shaved off around the edges so that it was something less than what it was valued at. So if unworthiness is what you do, the examination of yourself is what you are. And those two are not the same thing. Um, you can do all day long, but if you're, not, if you're not being what God made you to be, then what's the point of it? Or if you are just focusing on becoming but you don't ever commit yourself to bear your share of the weight of what God is asking to do, what's the good of it? So it's the being and the doing that is, that is brought into full view here at this table. And that if, if, you, if you be and you do, then every other thing that's said comes into a clear clarity. You know, like we've talked in verse 30 about this caused many weak, sickly among you, many sleep. And um, 
You know, I've talked about, and many of you may have felt this same way when you were growing up. Maybe you felt this way recently. I, was, I sometimes would be afraid to come up to the communion time when I was a little kid because I would go through all the things that I had possibly done. I'm talking seven, eight years old. You know, I was a desperado then, you know. And, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that I didn't, hadn't done anything rascally because if I came down, I could become weak, sickly, or whacked, you know, and I didn't want that. And that's not what's being said here. It's weak is that you are not, it's, it's asthenia. We've studied about that. It's the same word that's described for spirits of infirmity. It's form without function. It's you having a, 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 a part like an arm that was there you know, with the fingers and the musculature, but somehow it hangs limp and it doesn't work. And we, we are called to, to rejoice in seeing God awaken that, whether it's a physical body or whether it's a, a something in the spirit realm or some place that God would call us. It's got the possibility, it's got form, but there's no function, there's no power. And so if you aren't, being and doing, then this first thing could happen. Certainly, the the weakness and the um, the the inactivity won't be restored to proper function. Sickly is orostos, and it means there's no proper flow. Um, it's not the same word as what is used as a catharos. Because the catharos, the cleaning, or what the remedy for unclean spirits or an unclean thing, is to open something up. This is just the proper flow, like a river, or like a stream, or like uh, an artesian source of something. And if you're, if you're not being and doing, then you can't, you can't expect there to be that constant source of supply. And we must have that. And... The, the many sleep, this is where medically you get the term coma or comatose. And there are a lot of people that are just walking around, they're like a zombie. They, you know, they show up, but they don't ever be or do. And, and um, this is, the, all three of these things are what the enemy wants. He wants there to be form without function. He doesn't want there to be supply. And he wants there just to be inertia. He wants there to be inactivity. Things just don't change. And, you know, Paul warns about this. So take the warning and turn it into a proactive statement. When we come before this table, we want to do these things. We want to say, Father, I want to be all that you created me to be. I don't want to be 90% of what my capacity is in you. I want to do that for you. I want to be that good and faithful servant. And I also want to be faithful in what I'm called to do. You say, well, and then when I say that, then that confuses people. Well, how do I know? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Well, I can tell you what you're supposed to do. And here's the way I found out what I was supposed to do. I became what I am supposed to be and continue to try to be that by doing the things that I know to do. For instance, pray. 
Pray without ceasing. Pray in the Spirit. Lay on your face before God. Proscuneo. Those are things that you're called to do. That's, that's your reasonable service. Study the Word. Do that. You know, all these things. And see, when you do those things, then your spirit becomes refreshed and you begin to gain direction from God. You stop doing those things and you're going to be cut off. And I don't want that for I don't want that for my life and nobody I don't want that for anyone. So when anybody says, "Well, how do I know what God wants of me?" <laughs> that you know, I know there can be sincere questions regarding that, but usually it's because you're not doing any other thing and you just want somebody to do your homework for you. You want somebody to prophesy meaning into your life. And I want to tell you this. I believe in prophecy. We, we cherish that. Prophecy is necessary. We covet to prophesy. But ain't nobody going to be able to prophesy meaning into your life if you're not doing something. I, sometimes we see people in ministry, and they've got booklets full of prophecies they've received. And, and I'm glad for them. But they've not acted on any of them. The only action they have is twofold wanting to get another page to put in that book and wondering whether they need to expand it or buy a second volume. So do, live, breathe, receive the supply of the Lord, commune with him, and he will direct you. But if you stop seeking God, if you stop doing the elemental things, you're not going to, I don't know who, care who you are, you're not going to be able to uh, overcome in any way, and you'll be of little use to yourself, and certainly uh, probably no use to the work of the kingdom. So I would just say that. I mean, how do you know if you're... See, that's one of the beauties about diversities of tongues. You start praying under the power of the Spirit, and you're praying the mysteries of the Lord before the Father, and you're speaking things that are beyond the reach of your imagination because they're right in line with the things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and has never come into the heart of any person. Those glorious things that God is doing is mysteries. And when you're praying, you are, you are functioning in a mighty way, and that's going to have an impact on you. You're going to feel that strength and then it'll be amazing how God then opens other avenues for you. And um, so I don't ever want to be a cop-out when people come and say, well, I just don't know what my place is. And I think, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what my place was when God changed this church. He didn't give me an advanced copy of what he was going to do, the continents he was going to open, the, the ways that he was going to be leading us. So how did I find that? Did I go running down to CI to have a bevy of prophets tell me? God doesn't want anybody else doing your home. He's stingy with his relationship with you. He want, the Spirit wants to guide you into all truth. The Spirit doesn't necessarily want to guide you to another guide who will tell you what you're supposed to do. The Spirit's stingy with that. He really is. And, and I mean that in the best way, because he loves you. God says he's jealous over you with a godly jealousy. 
So the only way you're going to be able to hear in the, in the still small voice is to spend time with him. And then people might say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, how do you do it with every other thing? You ever spent time at the mall? You spend time on the phone? You spend time at uh, any other place? I could list them. Well, you just go and you make yourself available and you do it. And that's the beauty about spending time with God. You know, I know what it's like because I'm human like you, believe it or not. Sometimes that I come in and I think just by sitting in this room or sitting in Peace Chapel or sitting in the youth room or sitting in my office in that holy place, that somehow that just means, well, here I am, Lord. <laughs> Bump on the log doesn't get you very far with God. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Seems I read that someplace. And sometimes you have to you have to press in a little bit. You have to do a little bit of drawing. And how often it is that we'll come and we'll, we may even get real holy, get holy with it. And we'll lay on the floor and we'll say, okay, Lord, here I am. And if a minute goes by and he hasn't raised a goose bump or shook you or mawed you or any of those other things, if nobody with big wings came over and stood over you, we think, well, I guess nothing's happening. I guess it's time for me to go. Thank you, Lord. It's true. <laughs> I know that because I'm, I've been there. And so, you know, sometimes it takes a little while. You know, oh, those are wonderful times when you walk in and you're just overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord. And you, you feel his presence start bobbing and weaving you. But most of the time, it is not that way. And you've got to search. God hides his face. He, you search for him. And these are all good things. That's romantic language in God. And you've got you've to do it. Did you ever have a little kid and you're trying to get them to do something and they give it uh, 10 seconds and then they say, I can't do this. Or they'll say that something like that. Isn't that irritating? And then you've got to say, okay, now, no, no, come on, let's look at this. And we've got we've, we've to be better than that when we come before the Lord. And know that even if we don't feel anything, even if, we, if we're not stirred in the first two minutes, that God is there with you. And he is registering what it is that, um, that we're doing. This is a bad illustration. How many times have I said that from the pulpit? You're not keeping track, are you? Tammy, you're not keeping track of that. Okay, good. Really? Is that right? <laughs> oh, good. I've kept it under 200. <laughs> the other morning, I don't know how this happened, but I woke up and my phone wouldn't work. And I thought, what's wrong? And uh, finally, I pushed the button long enough and a little red thing came up on my phone. And I thought, my my battery is dead. How did that happen? I, 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 that usually doesn't happen to me. So I plug in the cord. And, you know, my phone didn't immediately jump to life and start doing cartwheels and Irish jig. It took about three or four minutes for my phone to actually do what I know it can do. 
And then it was faithful to tell me, you have 6% power. You know, like, don't try to get too adventurous. But it took a little while for that high voltage cord to bring my phone into a point of function. And yet you, the greatest of God's creation, you come in, the world has drained you, you've been in battle, you've been thinking things that good things and mediocre things and maybe some things you shouldn't be thinking. And you come before the Lord, you know, sometimes we've got to bask just in his presence, being available before him for a little while at least before our spirit decides it's time to come out and start moving. And that's a bad, I told you, I warned you it was a bad illustration. That's what, 186 now I've said. But that's kind of the way it is. There's sometimes that I just have to insist upon being present. Oh, my mind doesn't want that. My mind, after about two minutes, if I haven't seen an angel or started sparking or sent some carried away or feel a pulse or getting insights, it, my mind will start volunteering things. Did you do this? Did you forget to do that? Hey, you know that thing that's coming up in two months, how about if you do it this way? How about these three? And I know it's my mind. He's just trying to act like a, like a bad kid sitting beside me in class. Hey, did you see this thing? You know, teacher's a little boring. Read this. I know that happens because Katie told me in great detail about her French 1 class. And it um, seems the same story every year that characters change, but it's the same stuff. So we've, we've just got to do what we know to do, and if we're faithful in those things, he brings other things. And we've got to be, we've got to examine ourselves. Because no matter how much you put spiritual pneumonicos makeup on, because nobody wants to look like a spiritual dolt when they come around the saints, you know. You want to you be holy, holying and praise Godding and I'm not saying you're hypocrites. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, it's just us kids talking here. But only you can, can judge yourself, examine yourself to see, am I really being what I'm supposed to be? So that I can then partner with what God's wanting to do. And then I can take my place and walk with him bearing that wonderful privilege of partnership to being in the doing. And that's here. And it, if you do those things, then all of these other promises and, and powerful uh, options of healing and supply are yours. And so I feel that when we come before this table today, we need, to, we need to ask ourselves, not in a critical, not, not in a judgmental way, you just, just ask yourself before the Lord, Father, search me. And if, 
if if there's if there's any place in me that's not functioning properly and if there's any way that I'm not being what you created me to be rectify that help me and you know you're you're going you've been used to the Lord in mighty ways but in this season in particular at this table of the Lord God wants to remedy those things and quicken those things and you know the stripes of the Lord are are wonderful because they also speak of your placement and your willingness to be in alignment with what he wants you to be and that brings that that always brings the the supply and the provision of the Lord um, sometimes it takes longer than you want it to, but it always brings it. So this is a table of healing and supply today. And it's a table uh, in our own selves of evaluation, examining, and, um, and really judging ourselves. These are good days. But I'll, I'll say this, and then I'm going to close and we can come to the table. It seems like in our world today and in the scenarios that we face, these simple things that I've mentioned today that seem elemental are more under attack than at any time I can remember. There are, there are ways that the enemy and society and the agenda of this world would try to stop all of these things that we've just been talking about. And the table of the Lord is is a commune with him, it's a commune with each other, it's supply, it's alignment, it's evaluation, and it's a reset for grace, because it is a table of grace. That's what Eucharist means. And we're moving forward in this year of grace, so we need to align ourselves. And so I pray today that as you come, that God will give you whatever it is that you need and that he'll release his healing power into your body and into every part of your being, your spirit, your mind, uh, your circumstances, your family, your finance, that there would be perfect healing and supply and that there would be an awareness within you to demand upon yourself to be what God created you to be and to find your place, whether it's you alone in your home praying or however it is, that you will be faithful and that you will be available, not unworthy, but walking in worthiness with him. And I know that that, that promise prophetically is provided for us for this table at this moment. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come and receive these elements and find a place where you can commune with the Lord, pray as long as you want, and believe, though, that God is, God is going to do a mighty thing in you, healing in your body, stirring in your spirit, quickening of what you're on this earth to do for him. And I bless this, and I bless you, because uh, this is a moment that God has ordained. Heavenly Father, watch over your people now. Let this ground be holy ground, 
And may you do miraculous things in each and all of your people for the work of the ministry, for the, the faithfulness as being servants of you, and to, to walk in partnership with you. We bless it now, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's come and let's receive, and may God bless you as you do.